Father, it is so good to gather in your house with your people. And it is so good to just hit the pause button and find ourselves with the freedom to be able to go before you. The freedom because of the blood of Jesus to be able to stand before your throne. God, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. Stretch our hearts. Help us to think about things that maybe we've never thought about. Help us to be open to what it is that you are doing in and around us. Because Lord, we desire for you to use us. We say love God, love others, and serve the world. That's our mission, that's our vision. God, would you drive that home this morning in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 this morning. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. We'll have some ushers coming down the aisles with some Bibles. If you need one, slip a hand up. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word in your hand, whether it's a physical or electronic or to join us on scripture, Matthew 9, 9 through 13. Thanks for being here this morning and worshiping with us and those joining us online and those in traditions and those in kindred. We're in this series called BLESS, maybe you remember that and um, it's an acronym and a couple people caught me after the service last week and said, oh, what was that? What was that E or what was that S? And so let me just read them through them again here real quickly. The B, as we started with a couple weeks ago, means begin with prayer. And it's this idea that we would begin to, to seek the Lord and ask, God, who is it in my life? Who is it at my workplace or in my family or in my neighborhood that doesn't know Jesus? And who is it you want me? Who are you laying on my heart to begin to pray for, for opportunities? And then the L last week was just listen, looking for those opportunities just to find ourselves in conversation with them and just to, just to listen. What are they saying? What are their needs? And we shared about how, you know, if we just listen closely, people will tell us. We don't even have to ask questions. And today is E, and it stands for eat. And it's not what you think, because uh, I could just say eat and let's close with prayer, right? And we'd be like, okay, let's go eat. Um, it's a little different than that. And then the next S is serve. How do we serve these people, these people that God is laying in our heart? And then the final S is share. How do we share our story with them and give opportunity for people to trust Christ? Um, in your program this morning, you should have received a bookmark. Did everybody get one of those? And if you didn't, grab one on the way out. And there, there it is right in front of you. And this is, um, this is just to throw in your Bible or some other book to use as a reminder of this acronym BLESS and where God has been taking us. So today's message is centered around one word. It's that word eat, and, but it's not about what you're eating. It's about who you're eating with. We're gonna talk about the calling of Matthew. And if you follow an outline, the first one is this, Jesus calls sinners. And it begins in verse nine, this is what it says. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. So verse nine begins, as Jesus went on from there. So, so the natural question then would be from where? Where did Jesus come from? Well, in, in the prior eight verses just before this, we read a story about Jesus, the paralytic on a mat, and a group of men who lifted him up and remember who carried him to Jesus. 
And in verse two it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And how did the teachers of the law respond? Just as you might imagine, they said, this fellow is blaspheming. It's kind of the question of who died and made him king? Little did they know. And then Jesus begins to set the table with this group of naysayers uh, by offering some remarks. And that's where this passage is today. You got these religious leaders who, who are kind of just making all these remarks. And then in verse four, uh, it says this, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? And then he says this, which is easier, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Imagine if Jesus knew your heart. No need to imagine, right? Goes on and it says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. So this is the passage before where we're at today. And I started Matthew 9 and the story of the paralytic because it establishes the context for today's message. You see, with the paralytic, he establishes his authority to forgive sins. And that is important to understand if we're able to make sense of the passage for today. We're not just talking about Jesus who is a good man who, or who is a great prophet as some are in the habit of reducing him down to. We're talking about the Son of God who possesses all authority, all power over sin and the forgiveness of sin. That's what we're talking about. As Jesus went on from there, which we now know was the healing of the paralytic, he saw a man named Matthew, this is where we're at today, sitting at a tax collector's booth, and he said this. He said, hey, Matthew, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? Right after Jesus establishes his authority to forgive sin, prior passage that I just looked at, he established his authority to forgive sin, he sets the course by calling sinners to follow him. So first he establishes the authority, he says, I have the authority to forgive sins, and then the next thing you know, he's at the booth, and he says to Matthew, hey, now follow me. And Matthew is first in line, follow me. There are a couple of huge takeaways in verse nine alone. First, Jesus calls you, calls others just as they are. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Matthew was a tax collector. It was believed that he would collect taxes on the goods of people who were kind of entering into the town, and that was kind of his job. And it, and it makes sense then that Matthew was sitting at this tax collector's booth. Maybe you could liken it to a toll booth. Uh, the only difference is that toll booths kind of have set amounts. So as you're going through toll booths, it might say, hey, if you have one axle or two axles or whatever you have, here's the amount that you have to pay. There were set prices. But here's the deal with Matthew. Matthew, because there were no set fees, would charge a little extra now and then. In other words, he would kind of skim from the top and he would put money in his own pocket. 
He was a Jew. Working for the Romans against his own people. Stealing from his own people. Seems kind of like a stand-up guy, right? And yet he was the first one in line for Jesus. And, and we asked the question, like, Jesus, is this the best you can find? Is this the best you can do? But don't forget, it was right there at the tax collector booth where Jesus called him to follow. And Jesus didn't wait until, until Matthew got off work. He didn't, he didn't wait until his day off. Jesus confronted Matthew in his environment of sin. I want you to think about your sin for a second. Think about the situation you would least want Jesus to show up to. And imagine Jesus showing up. Jesus didn't wait for you to clean up first, right? Get your act all together, get your life together. He didn't wait until you had your life in, in complete order and control. He didn't come to you when you didn't think you needed him. He met you in the moment and in the place you wish Jesus wasn't aware of and he didn't have to see. That's when Jesus showed up in your life. And secondly, Jesus calls you, just like he did Matthew, to follow, right? Jesus goes face to face with Matthew at work while sitting in his booth and he says two words, follow me. That's all he said to him. And what does he do? He gets up immediately and follows Jesus. Matthew left it all behind. Matthew was living a pretty good life. It's a picture of repentance, though, is what we're seeing here. Matthew didn't drag his booth along with him as he followed Jesus so he could set up shop now and then to make a little extra money. He turned completely away from it. He knew that it was wrong. He never looked back. Matthew was a wealthy man. He had a very cushy job, but in an instant, he left it all. He left all of this sin to follow Jesus. It's a perfect picture of, of this phrase, Jesus calls you as you are, right? But does not leave you as you are. Praise God for that. He meets you in your sin and he calls you out of your sin. Do you remember our mission that flows out of Jesus' mission? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Luke 9, 23. And the idea of following is what sets Christianity apart. We are called to follow a person. We're not called to follow a rule book or a step-by-step -step plan. What does verse 9 teach us? Jesus calls sinners. Do you remember the, the I think it's the TV show Jeopardy, right? And... Um, would ask that question, name something on Jesus' job description, right? Imagine playing this. Name something on Jesus' job description. Bam, you hit the button. Make people happy. Eh. Someone else. Name something on Jesus' job description. Bam, bring people peace. Ding, 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 ding. Heal people. Still not the number one answer. One more. Number one thing on Jesus' job description. He calls sinners. That's what he does, he calls sinners. 
Secondly, we see in this passage, Jesus hangs out with sinners. Verse 10 and 11, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples question, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So Matthew, after being called by Jesus, decides the best way to celebrate is to throw this party by inviting all of his friends. Now remember that, that Matthew's job was, he was a tax collector robbing people of his own people. So who might he invite? Who was Matthew gonna invite to this party? People just like him. Other tax collectors. And people who were despised by the people. It was the sinner's party. The sinners came out of the woodwork for this party. But wait a minute, I thought all people are sinners. Matthew was not saying sinners as to say there were some people who weren't sinners. The word sinners was used primarily, like in this passage, to describe those who participated in things that were considered to be the very worst things that you could possibly think of in society at that time. The very worst sins. These would be like the five-star recruits. He called all the sinners to his house. And when I list these, like the top three, you're not gonna think they're, they're all that big of a deal. He says, hey, tax collectors, I want you to come. All of you who have been cheating people, I want you to come. Prostitutes, you're welcome, I want you to come. Drunkards, you're welcome too. Those would be the top three categories, uh, at least for some of them, that would be like, these are the five-star recruits when he called all the sinners to his house. They were referred to as sinners because some felt that these sins were in a different category than their own sins. We do that too, don't we? Wow, that person is really evil. Wow, that person really knows how to sin. I'm glad I don't do that. So at this party was the worst of the worst, and at the table were those sinners who had been despised by all the people, and, and, and this party raises a lot of questions. Does a person have to be sin-free before they are a true Christian? What about after they become a Christian? Do, does a person have to get to a point where they don't have sin in their life anymore? What about people who are holding on to their sin, who say that they're a Christian? Should you be around them? Should you hang out with them? How did Jesus handle sinners when he was on earth? So I want you to imagine this, this, this table scene. There was Jesus, there was Matthew, there were some of the disciples who had just been called to follow Jesus, to, to leave their life of sin, and now there's all these other sinners that were coming to this party. And, and if you were there, maybe if this was today, you might start feeling a little bit, oh, uh, what are my neighbors gonna think? What if somebody from church sees me? I don't, I don't want people to think that this is me. If there was such a thing as a who's who in Jesus' day, Jesus would have been at the top because news was starting to spread about Jesus, some good and, and, and some not so good, at least from the people's perspective, all kinds of reasons. Talk about who's who. 
Elon Musk is worth about $250 billion. As you may know, he recently purchased Twitter for a mere $44 billion. You too could have purchased Twitter. Did you know that? If you made $100,000 a year or your household makes $100,000 a year or you get a group of friends together and make $100,000 a year collectively, do you know how long it would take before you could purchase Twitter? I asked this question at home and, and us pastors were wrestling with us this week, so we did the math for you so you don't have to figure it out. How long do you think it would take before a person making $100,000 a year could purchase Twitter? 440,000 years. You could buy Twitter. Mind-blowing. Elon Musk can buy whatever he wants whenever he wants, as wealthy as he is. He could shed his blood all he wants, but no amount of his blood could or ever will buy the forgiveness of sin, not for himself, not for anyone else. I grew up, uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up not having much, needless to say, my parents never inquired about purchasing the modern day Twitter. We couldn't afford a tweet. Um, And the only Twitter we had was a parakeet in a cage, right? Did you have one of those? But I wasn't raised needing to be known or, for that matter, needing to know people. I think that there's pros and cons to that. I'm comfortable in the presence of important people. Not because in any way do I ever think that I'm important in the eyes of man. But because to me, they're just people. A person's intellect or power or money or status might make them more important than me to at least many people, but not in God's eyes. We're equally valued. I do struggle, however, when I'm in the presence of people who act like they they are more important. Is that a struggle for you? That's a major turnoff for me. Is it fun and exciting to know people who have had great success or they're highly respected? Sure. But at the end of the day, I, we, are no less of a person than they. I only know this for one reason. Because Jesus levels the playing field. A person can live like they're important, or a person can live to know those who are important, but honestly, in the end, Jesus levels the playing field. We all need the same blood that was shed by Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin. We all need the same blood. Eternity is not decided by the criteria man has used to make someone more important than another person, like the criteria they say, well, this person's more important than this person. That's not how eternity gets decided. It's decided by the gospel. There will be a line, so to speak, drawn between those who receive and believe and those who reject. And the same Jesus who held all authority and power humbled himself to such a degree that that he was now sharing some grub. He was willing to sit down and share some grub with those people that you might not expect. What are some takeaways in verse 10 and 11? First, Jesus modeled for us an unwillingness to ignore sinners. 
But what about 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13? This passage is really stirred in my heart this week because, and I'm hoping it's stirred in your heart because sometimes we get this, this idea that we have to protect, that we have to stay in the walls of the church, we have to stay in our homes and, and we don't wanna be contaminated or, or affected by sinners or evil people. And, but, but listen to this passage. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13 says this. Paul writes this. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. What was Paul really saying in 1 Corinthians? Really interesting. Paul's instructed them not to associate with believers. What? To not associate with believers who are living immoral lives. Not unbelievers who are living immorally. In fact, how else would an unbeliever live? We can assume and expect that someone who does not know Jesus would live an immoral life. Paul even throws in a little humor here. He says, if you don't want to associate with unbelievers who are immoral, you would have to leave this world. Why are we surprised when people who do not know Jesus live and act like they don't know Jesus? Imagine a heart that has not been touched or transformed by Jesus. It makes sense that a person like that who has not surrendered their life to Christ, it makes sense that a person who is unbeliever would live uh, judgmental. It makes sense that an unbeliever would live condemning of other people shaming other people. It makes sense that an unbeliever would live in, with an indulgent lifestyle. Of course they would. But secondly, be prepared to receive judgment and even criticism. Galatians 1.10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Jesus was sharing a meal with sinners and the religious leaders got their underwear all in a bunch. There, tweet that. Jesus was sharing a meal with sinners, known sinners, and the religious leaders, the religious people of the day got their underwear in a bunch. They could not believe that he would do such a thing. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees are offended. Sharing a meal, especially in a public setting, implies acceptance, even approval. If you were going to do this, Jesus, why wouldn't you do it behind closed doors where nobody knew where you're at? And certainly they wouldn't know what you're doing. So the Pharisees complained to the disciples rather than to Jesus. Perhaps they are afraid to engage Jesus directly or more probably. That's just how we are sometimes, right? Let's don't go to the person that we really need to talk to. Let's don't go to the person that we, we really need to address things with. Let's go to somebody else and talk to them. And that's what they were doing here. They're like, we're not going to Jesus. We're not going to say anything to him. Why would we say something to Jesus? So they tap a disciple on the shoulder and they say, hey, why, why is he doing that? I don't know. Go ask him. Right? 
to be expected because the religious leaders did everything they could to avoid sinners. It was a common saying among the religious. Keep far from an evil neighbor and do not associate with the wicked. The religious stayed as far away as possible from tax collectors. The religious stayed as far away as they could from prostitutes and drunkards in fear of being contaminated. And yes, friends, I know, I'm well aware that in Scripture, we are taught to be careful, right? That we, too, might find ourselves falling into the same sin. Of course, we have to be careful. But our mission statement here at Bethel is to love God passionately, to love others intentionally, to serve the world sacrificially. How do we love others and serve the world if we barricade ourselves in a church and in our houses? Sinners are not zombies. We're not in a zombie apocalypse. No one here is suggesting that we immerse ourselves in the sins of the sinner. No one is even suggesting that we abandon our beliefs or our practices to build a relationship. Of course not. No one is saying we have to be the best friend with a sinner as though we might somehow uh, gain some kind of badge. My best friend is a sinner. And I get a little, little badge. Jesus, through his demonstration, is just saying, don't ignore them. They need me. You needed me. They need me. So far, we've learned that Jesus calls sinners. He hangs out with sinners. Were you raised um, in such a way, um, maybe as I was, I was raised in an evangelical free church, just like this one. It was a very conservative, small evangelical free church. I was raised um, with, you know, that saying, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go, go with girls who do. Um, I was raised with go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, or you're not a good Christian. I was raised with avoid certain people, don't talk to certain people, read your Bible, pray, listen to Christian music, right? All of those things. It was a lot of do's and don'ts so that I could be a good Christian young man. Jesus says, how are you, that's all good. Those are great things. If they're done with the right motive. But don't ignore the people who need me. Third, Jesus heals sinners, verse 12 and 13. Jesus, however, overhears the question and responds. Don't you just love that? Of course he overhears it, right? He says this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means, Jesus says. He says this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call the sinners. Jesus responds to their critique with three brief yet striking statements. Number one, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick people who need a doctor. So Jesus doesn't come to the party as one of them, nor to ignore them and leave, uh, it, let them leave in their sin. He associates with them like a doctor would with a sick person, like a doctor would with a patient. He didn't show up to condemn them or, or even to condone them, but he showed up to help them and heal them. 
That's why he was there. That's gold right there. Listen to this. He didn't show up to condemn or to condone, but to help and to heal. Imagine a doctor, it's graduation day, graduated from med school, and two offers are laid on the table, and they say to a doctor, hey, here's this little town here, it's got a little hospital and a little, um, little clinic here, but nobody has ever been sick. Historically, nobody's ever been into either one of them. You'd, it's just a really nice little town. You could go there, or you could go to this little town, it's got a doctor and a clinic, and people are very sick, and they need a doctor. The doctor purpose of a doctor is to help and to heal. And that's what Jesus was saying about his own life. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And that is the very message Jesus was trying to get across to the religious. I still remember the day, I could still visualize the exact moment we were building our last church and we had a number of people involved in building the building. We had a lot of construction people and so on. But we were getting down to the point where we, we were beginning to paint and we had this one gal who um, Lori and I were good friends with and she would often come and just ask for prayers for her husband and for her kids. Her, her husband had a little bit of a drinking problem and wasn't a believer and, and would you just please continue to pray for this person and, and pray and pray and pray and our small group was praying. So all of a sudden we're there and I'm there uh, one evening and I'm helping and I look over in the corner and there he was up on scaffolding and he was painting. And I thought, this is so awesome. And I walked over to him and I struck a conversation. I spent the rest of the night there just getting to know this person. Well, long story short, over the course of time, this person uh, eventually gave his life to Christ, was discipled, um, recently graduated Bible school, but even before that, this is years ago, I hired him to be our children's ministry director in our church. He's been there for years. He continued and he's, he's graduated Bible school and it's just a great testimony. Don't give up on people. Jesus says, don't give up on people. You wanna know why? There's people sitting right here right now that represent that person I just described. There are people sitting here, right here, right now, who are joining us online, who know somebody who represents that person. And they're like, yes, I've been praying for my husband, I've been praying for my wife, I've been praying for my coworker, whoever it is, don't give up. Jesus says, that's why I came. I came for the sick. This person was sick. One of the second things he says is Jesus desires mercy, not sacrifice. And to help them get it a bit further, he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. He says it again, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's where that statement was coming from. As to say, we can't help people if we don't have mercy on them. Again, when it comes to sinners, it's not about accepting the sin or avoiding the sinner. Rather, through mercy, we seek to lead them to Jesus. And what is his point in that? That's a funny statement. What's his point? It's so to say, yes, sacrifice is important, of course. Obedience to God's commands is utmost important. But if you don't do it with love and you don't do it uh, with mercy in your heart, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're just going through the motions. You're just going through the, the do's and the don'ts. 
He's not saying mercy should replace the other things. Instead, he's saying don't forget the mercy which they were in the habit of doing. The third statement, he says, Jesus did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Great news. No one is righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The good news is Jesus doesn't write us off or doesn't give up on us. No one can out God's grace and mercy. Anyone can come to know Jesus. It doesn't matter one bit how terrible of a sinner one has been. Jesus offers the same blood that covered our sin, if you're a believer sitting here this morning. So let's humble ourselves and be merciful to sinners in the same way Jesus was merciful to us. I want you to hear this. We are a beggar who found the bread telling other beggars where to find the bread. I often will say this, that guys, people are not going to walk up to you and stand right in front of you and say, hey, What must I do to be saved? Probably not going to happen. Three weeks ago after a service, a young man walked up to me, looked me in the eyes, and said, Pastor, what must I do to be saved? I was blown away. There are sinners, we're all sinners, but there are people who are sinners sitting here right now, listening to me right now, and you do not know Jesus. You may be sitting next to someone right now and you know they don't know Jesus. You wanna know Jesus? Please. With all the desperation and all the plea in my voice, do not leave here. We say this often, but please, do not leave here. Humble yourself. It's quite possible that God is calling you right now to surrender your life. And he's saying, I have not given up on you. I'm gonna be right there. We got a couple songs at the end. Uh, Just come down and say, hey, can we talk? We are a beggar who found the bread, telling other beggars where to find the bread. Let me leave you with one thing as the worship band comes up and leads us in a couple songs as we close. The one thing is this, hang out with a sinner this week. And you don't have to say, hey, uh, honey, you wanna go to lunch after church? Pastor said I need to hang out with a sinner this week, okay? We're all sinners, right? We're all sinners in that way. I'm talking about people who do not know Jesus. If God is speaking to you right now, 
I want you to come. Bring the next couple songs. Come right down here. And let's talk.